Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and I'll read the first 11 verses. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Now it happened while, that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. So it's missions, and I want us to pause and reflect for a few moments on that one statement that Jesus, the Son of God, made directly to this fisherman named Peter. Jesus says to Peter, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. From the miraculous catch of fish that almost broke their boats and nets, Jesus tells this man, Peter, that he would be catching something else and that this, would, this catch of fish would be an indication of the work that he would do, um, not with fish, but with men. And the gospel is certainly the main focus in these books is the acts of the triune God and in, particularly, in particular the, the incarnate Son of God. John puts, puts it at the end of his gospel this way, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That being the case, Jesus Christ gets top billing. He is the main focus. But as we go through the the book of Luke and uh, the other Gospels, we we also see a particular uh, cast of characters, a group of men, 12 men, who were selected to undergo three years of training, by Jesus, under Jesus. And these are the men we know as the apostles, right? One, one of them was unconverted, Judas, uh, who would betray the Lord. And there are two other apostles that we don't, uh, we don't read about in the Gospels, Matthias, who was added to replace 
uh, Judas early in the book of Acts and the apostle Paul. Uh, who, who would come into history a few years down the road in, in an extraordinary manner. Jesus appeared to him and sent him as the apostle to the Gentiles. But for now, we see these ordinary men, many of them uh, blue-collar type workers, right? Men who worked with their hands. We see these ordinary men called to a new vocation, a new ministry. In Peter, James, and John's cases, they go from being men who catch fish for a living to men who would catch souls, who would catch men. Now, when Jesus spoke these words to Peter, he essentially, uh, I would assume that Peter essentially didn't, had no clue what they meant. Right? It was probably like hearing a riddle. But, but hearing these words, we know that Peter, who may not have completely understood them, immediately responded, regardless. Um, he, Peter has the kind of boldness. I mean, I was thinking about Peter this morning. He has the kind of boldness that in the presence of Jesus, he's willing to say anything. But then in the presence of a little girl, betrays, God, betrays Jesus. And, and so it's hard to call Peter bold. And yet he's bold. We know that is one of his characteristics, right? He's bold in the presence of the Lord where maybe he shouldn't be, and he's not bold um, when maybe he should be, uh, which, which I guess we would all resonate with that, wouldn't we? Um, but what was his reaction? Verse 11, when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. They left. They said, okay, this man, this God-man, Jesus, has proven himself. He said, we had been fishing and nothing came up. He said, go cast in the deep, and we're overwhelmed. It's clearly a miracle, right? Clearly a miracle. Um, Peter responded to Jesus' statement with faithful obedience. Peter understood, certainly from that miracle, that Jesus was a man to be obeyed. And a man to be obey, obeyed immediately. Peter does not hem and haw. He does not... Uh, protest in any way. He does not play it prudent by asking for some weeks to go uh, get his affairs in order and to speak to his mom and, and other things. He does not insist that Jesus supply him with a 401k before he starts this apostleship. Um, he, he Before he starts this call, yeah, they bring their boats to the land, so they, they at least do that. But you can almost imagine Peter jumping in to the water, as he did in, in the Gospel of John later. You can almost imagine him just jumping in and leaving the boats there and following Jesus. Um, but they are leaving everything behind and following him. God's calling was heavy upon these 12 men. And that's clear, clear because we see no hesitation in their willingness to go after him. They have a single-minded focus now on the Son of God and the glory of his kingdom. And the cost for them is leaving everything behind. Leaving every stable thing behind. Leaving everything they've known up to that point in their lives behind. And it's not too much for them. They do it. Jesus is their priceless treasure. And so uh, they will be with him rather than... Um, with their old life. Jesus called others to follow him. Jesus called others to work in his kingdom, but they did not respond with faithful and immediate obedience like Peter. 
They responded a different way, and we read about this later in in Luke in chapter 9. We read this, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. You know, that, that, that quick boast. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, what does Jesus mean by that? Jesus means by that that this work is not going to be easy. You might have to sleep in the middle of a jungle on a hammock and get sick and suffer and be in danger, right? And, and give up the things that we so, uh, so easily take for granted here. And, and so Jesus is saying that, you know, I'll, I'll have nowhere to lay my head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus very unkindly says to him, but, but he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Right? He's like, let the dead, those dead in spirit, bury the literal dead. But you come and follow life, follow me. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And that's, that's just, that makes sense. I mean, we would all do that, right? We would all ask for that permission. I've got to say goodbye to a few people. people. Let me, let me uh, make sure my orders are in fair. Let me make sure of this and that. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, that's an application even beyond just not fit for mission work. He says he's not fit for the kingdom of God. Right? When Jesus calls you to follow him, who are you like? Are you like Peter who leaves everything and goes? Or are you like the man who said, yeah, yes, but let me, let me do this or that first. When Jesus calls you to follow him, for example, in being generous with your money, do you end up being generous and, and examining where your money is being used godlessly or wastefully and selfishly and then repenting so that you might be generous toward his church, toward his people, his missionaries, toward others? Or do you find yourself saying, I, I can't afford to tithe? I can't afford to be generous. It's not prudent. When I make more money, I will then give money to God. Right? I mean, that seems so prudent to us. It seems impossible that we would, could make any decision other than that. Um, and yet, one faith is like Peter, and one is the yes, but faith. So often in the church today, I think we talk about obedience to Jesus' commands and go away from sermons feeling good because we've just been made to consider obedience. It feels good to consider obedience. It seems really reformed and Presbyterian to consider obedience. Uh, But in other words, the goal of much preaching is to make you feel as if considering being generous or considering being a good husband uh, to your wife or considering guarding your eyes from lustful glances is the point. But the point is not considering those things. It's the actual doing of those things, right? It's the doing of those things. It's, it's being a good husband, and it's being uh, self-controlled. You know, the point is to be generous and to be pure. An exhortation without action is nothing, right? An exhortation to yourself 
If you feel good just considering the commandments of God, well, you haven't done enough. You haven't done enough. The purpose in considering is to be doing. And, of course, we think of James' statement that let us be doers and not merely hearers of the word who delude themselves. And so when Jesus said to Peter, from now on you will be catching men, Peter had to leave everything and go do something different, some different catching. In other words, Peter would not be catching souls if he sat back and thought about how good the command of Jesus was. Awesome. How, how good and how pleasant it is that Jesus called me to catch men. What a glorious command. What a strange thing for him to say. You know, let's, let's diagram the sentence. Let's figure out what he said in Aramaic and, and in Greek and compare those things. And, and what, you know, what a lofty calling, what a noble calling. You know what we should do, James and John? We should have a conference about catching men. That's what we should do. We should, we should have a conference on catching men and the Great Commission. We should have a conference on evangelism. Isn't getting people to consider evangelism great? Right? Meanwhile, the neighbor across the street is never talked to. Right? And, and the tyranny of the urgent never allows you to talk to that stranger you bumped into in the middle of coals. Right? You just want to get home to the next thing. And yet somebody is just like, I don't know why, poured out their heart to you in 30 seconds. Or at least shown you their heart. Right? In other words, the contemplation of evangelism, the contemplation of an orderly family, the contemplation of the mission field, the contemplation of things is better than the reality of those things. And that's, that's, this is the Presbyterian Church today. We talk about evangelism and we never practice it. We talk about radical obedience and we never do it. We talk about generosity and we're very stingy. We talk about loving God's commands, but... We don't do them. We talk about so many things. Pastors talk. Pastors talk, love to talk about the, the, the work of shepherding so that they don't have to actually do the shepherding. Right? Let's talk about it. And it gives the false appearance as if we're practicing it. But the talking of it and the doing of it are very different. We talk about prayer, Right? We talk about prayer, we have conferences about prayer, and never pray. It's mind-boggling. We talk about godly marriage, we go to seminars, and we stay put in our relationships. Not about to repent for even the tiniest little piddly things that cause friction. We talk about loving our children and discipling them, and day in, day out, we simply neglect them. Because we have better things to do. More important, more pressing things to do. We talk about the glory of the martyrs who died witnessing to the glory of God and find it hard to suffer even a bit of ridicule for our faith. A tiny little bit. Right? We, a, a Facebook amount of ridicule. Right? Uh, Facebook. You, don't, you are not persecuted on Facebook. If you think you're persecuted on Facebook, you're a wimp. Right? I mean, these missionaries that we've heard from and these, these men and women who are about the world suffering face persecution. And it's because they're there for the sake of the gospel. And you're never on Facebook for the sake of the gospel. I'll just tell you that. Um, we talk about 
glory of the martyrs who died witnessing to the glory of God, and we can't be ridiculed. We talk about our society's decadence, and then we live like the world. We travel across land and sea, and then, you know, pay for airfare and hotel and registration fees to hear R.C. Sproul. Well, not anymore. Al Mohler talk to us about the finer points of God's sovereignty, and then we live lives of discontentment. Right? We talk about depravity and sin and privately think we haven't sinned much this week. Right? The doctrine of depravity has no practical application to me. We talk about the joy of repentance and privately loathe anything that might lead us to repentance, whether that would be the rebuke of your wife, the message of the preacher from the pulpit, or the sting of God's word directly. Right? That, that is fruitlessness that gives the appearance of fruitfulness. American Christians are masterful at keeping up appearances, right? And dear brothers and sisters, let's be done with the keeping up of appearances. We, let's get down to real faith, real obedience, the obedience that acts, the, the obedience of James chapter 2, that sort of faith that produces works, Right? Let's be done with the contemplating of prayer and start praying. How many times when people tell you you're praying, do you say back to the man, yeah, I've just got to pray more. I'm just not a prayer. I've never really gotten consistently into prayer. It's time to stop saying that. You're just contemplating prayer and not doing prayer. Do prayer. Um. Let's be done with contemplating obedience and begin obeying. Let's stop talking about being Christians and be Christians. Right? Let's stop being consumers and start being producers. Right? Not letting, you know, just taking what comes to us, but producing Christian fruit. Let's stop speaking rapturously about the art hanging in, in the museums and learn how to paint. Right? Make the art that hangs in the museums. And I'm not telling you to be artists at all. I'm, ma- I'm drawing an analogy. Right, you know, Do the Christian life. And yes, we do need artists that are Christians that know how to paint. Um, Christianity is not wishful thinking about things that could be. Right? Christianity is being what God has call- both called us to be and equipped us to be. It's holiness, it's obedience, it's sanctification, um, and it's all possible. But it comes down to following Jesus, leaving everything behind and following Christ. Peter does not sit back and delight in contemplating what Jesus said. No, he just goes. He follows. It's very simple. Obedience is, is often more simple than contemplation, isn't it? Contemplation will tie you in knots, but obedience... It's pretty simple. Go. God told Abraham, go. And what did Abraham do? Doot. He went. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. What did he do? He got up early the next morning and left, not knowing the whole picture, but he went. So Peter does not sit back and delight in contemplating. He, he follows. If Jesus has said, I will be a fisher of men, where do I go to make that happen? How, how does this happen? God, I mean, I, I pray that God would increase our love for him, that, that we would 
And remember that love for him is obedience to his commands. That love for him is not just snuggling up next to his commands and rolling them over in our minds, but it is doing. Forgive, you know, Lord, forgive us for being hearers and not doers. Now, I think of the missionaries who, who just gave you reports this morning. They have radically obeyed. They have radically obeyed, leaving behind comfort, family, convenience, safety. Why? To, to, not that those things don't exist where they are. They have certain comforts and certain safety and certain things. But the safety that we know and, the, and the, just the time that they've been here, the familiarity they've left behind. Why? To obey God's commands to go out in all the world and make disciples. You know, the other thing that occurs to me is I couldn't be a missionary unless I had in the forefront of my mind the fact that there is coming a day when there will be a day of judgment and every man will stand before the tribunal of God. If you're a missionary and that's not the first thing in your mind, you know, go fix trucks or something. Do something else. But there has to be a weight on your heart for the souls of people that you're ministering to, but so many missionaries are, are off on, on secondary paths, and some of those things need to get done. I'm not bashing it, but, but those that are there to spread the gospel must keep in mind that God is going to return, and the Son of God is going to return with a sword in his mouth, and he's going to destroy the nations. And that's got to motivate. That's got to motivate. But they've... They've gone to obey God's commands to, to go out in all the world. Paul was sleeping in that hammock in the middle of the jungle, which is something I don't ever want to experience. And they're building him in a, a, a luxury accommodation now, right? Um, the Belithas retired. They retired and began the hardest work of their lives <laughs> at retirement. We should honor those who live these lives of obedience to God's commands. They struggle with their flesh. They struggle with their desires to just chuck it all and live for themselves. I'm sure they do, but, but they haven't given in to that temptation, and we should honor that. We should honor that, and we should support them in that work. So we see in Peter's example real obedience, not just the appearance of obedience. He leaves fishing behind. He follows Jesus. Now, I want to say... Just a few things about this new vocation of Peter. He's now, along with the other apostles, beginning three years of training at the feet of Jesus. He's being trained to be a witness, right? Trained to be a preacher. He's trained to be an officer in, in Christ's bride, the church, a shepherd. Peter will go on, as you know, to haul in large catches of men, right? He, in fact, in the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter's told by God to go fishing in the city of Jerusalem, and he catches about 3,000 souls in one day. That's a large catch, right? Peter, as you know, was called to the office of apostle. He was being sent out by Jesus to be a witness. He directly heard and received the command, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to observe, not just to contemplate, but to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He was called, trained, ordained, anointed to do this work of catching men. Well, what about you and I? What about you and I? What are, are we called to be catchers of men? 
Not in the same sense as the apostles, right, who had an office and who were setting up the early church, but there certainly is a sense in which all Christians are to be catchers of men. Um, We all have a call to witness. Not all have the calling of apostle. There were only a few of those. Not all have the calling of preacher. That's a particular office for men, and it comes with qualifications. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, Scripture even says that not many should become teachers, In regard to this office of preacher, God does not call every Christian to abandon a vocation in order to become a full-time preacher, teacher, or missionary, right? Scripture says whatever you do, making scissors, building buildings, working on assembly line, driving truck, lawyering, um, fixing teeth, refurbishing electrical equipment, do all that to the glory of God. Right? Yet we have a duty to be engaged in catching men. All of us do. We, we all have a duty to be witnessing to the Lord. How can we be witnesses of Jesus who are concerned to see others believe in Jesus? So here are a number of points that struck me. The first way to be witnesses um, of Jesus is with our encouragement. Our encouragement. 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any way in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That is one, that is one of the longest, strangest sentences in all of Scripture. Every time I come to it, I'm like, there's so many different permutations of comfort in there it's like a jumble of comfort and um and i think purposely so uh for just as the sufferings of christ are ours in abundance so also our comfort is abundant through christ but if we are afflicted it is for your comfort and salvation if we are comforted it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer and our hope for you is firmly grounded knowing that as you are shares of our sufferings, so also you are shares of our comfort. Did you know that your difficulties and the comfort that follows from them may be for the purpose of witnessing to others? The suffering and the comfort, or the suffering, with, the comfort within the suffering, the calm, the hope within that suffering. We don't, we, you know, it's... Um, We don't reject suffering as being from the devil. Suffering is from the hand of the Lord. We accept it and use our suffering as a glorious time to witness to others about just exactly where our comfort lies and the comfort we have in God. Second, with our submission, we can witness. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, right? We know these passages. Um, Just, and we're all under authority. We, We can... The, the, under, the, under the authority of the presbytery, by my submission, I can show forth the gospel. By, by obeying the commands of a boss at work, right? Not in, a, not in a complaining sort of way like the world does, but by being obedient even to a hard boss. With that submission, we show forth the gospel just as Jesus submitted to his own father. And so we can also... Witness with our parenting. Deuteronomy 6 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, 
so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Is that the flavor of your parenting? Right? Do you witness to your children? Do you preach the gospel to your children? Do you, as the passage says, talk of God's word when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up? Which is pretty much all the time. Um, what do you talk about? What, um, what would your children say to me if I asked them about what mommy and daddy treasure most? Well, how would they answer that? What things are they most excited about? What things lead them to cry? What th- and, and if it's football for those first two, man, come on, repent. What things do they talk about most? Right? I am in a rut in my family right now. I despise our family devotions. I can't break through to my kids. I can't get them to listen. Um, the, the rhetoric in our house is just goofiness all the time and playing around. It's fun, but we are not sober-minded as, as a family. And it's breaking my heart. It's breaking my heart because it's my failure. It's my failure as the father of the family. I want to talk about serious things with my kids, and we so seldom get there. But um, so teach me, those of you who have gone through this, teach me how to do it. Uh, we can glorify God. We can witness to him by our good behavior. First Peter 2, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Be, have integrity among pagans. Right? So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. How are they going to glorify God in the day of visitation when they're being denounced? They're going to say, his works were godly. They're going to recognize it finally. We can, gl- we can witness with our faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We can witness with our single-minded devotion to Jesus. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. That must be an encouraging verse to those who go out on the front lines and missions. Because they've given up their life, right? They've given up all the things that we love, all of our comforts, all of their friends, for something that's much better than all those things. And then finally, 
here's how we practice evangelism. With our words. <laughs> this is like, we can't just contemplate evangelism. We actually have to do it. And the way that God has, has shown us to witness is through all those other means. And yes, through our obedience and our behavior and, and our faith. And, but with our words. We've got to talk. We have to talk to people. As much as the introverts among us hate doing that, that is the means, right? <laughs> Ron and I are like, it's, it's, I wish this wasn't on the list. Um, Apostle Peter taught us this in his letter to the churches, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. You know, when somebody says to you, why are you joyful? That's the door being thrown open and it's your opportunity to say, Jesus. That's all you have to do. Just say, Jesus. And then if they want to keep talking, they'll keep talking, but they may not want to keep talking, right? But just say, I, I know God. I know Jesus. Do you have words ready for use? Do you have words ready for use just on a common day? If someone asks me about my faith or my religion or my practice or what I think, do you have words that you're going to go to today? Right? It, what verse are you going to bring up that's going to be something that you could talk about for longer than 30 seconds? Right? Have one verse that you could talk about and talk and talk and talk and over and over and just have that locked in. Have you had to make a defense for your faith? Or have you avoided it like the plague, right? Don't make eye contact in a restaurant because that person really seems like they want to talk to you. But if I make eye contact, man, then I'm going to feel bad when I don't witness to them, right? Do you hide? Do you hide? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so, um, you're the light of the world. You can't hide it. If you're in Christ, you cannot hide this light. You can't. This, I believe, is one area where I think we are unprepared. Active witnessing with our mouths, with our words. Right? Have your children heard you share the gospel with any strangers? Have your children heard you share the gospel with a stranger? My children haven't. Maybe at the abortion clinic. But outside of that, on a casual thing, you know, the, 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 the routine is to go get, uh, you know, soccer cleats. And there's a divine appointment in there somewhere. I'll have come home with the soccer cleats and not a testimony. Of how I shared my faith. That shouldn't be. Lift up your eyes the next time you are in Ingalls or Lidl or Aldi, wherever you shop. I suggest Aldi and Lidl's. When, when you, <laughs> I mean, if you want to be a good steward of your money. Um, when you enter, think this to yourself. God has brought all these people by his sovereign plan into this place at the same time. And I'm a Christian. God has sovereignly brought everybody here. I'm a Christian and something crazy might happen. And God's going to call me to do something, right? And it's not coincidence. And, and there are many people here in this place who are desperately lost, 
who are desperately depressed and hurt, dead in their sins, proud in their disregard for God, trying to figure things out, but going to all the wrong places because they're blind in their spiritual eyes. Am I ready? Or would I rather not be inconvenienced? But, but instead, pray, slow down, slow down, slow down, American. Slow down. Think of the riches of knowing Jesus. Think of the riches of the knowledge you have in Christ and love others just a bit and be willing to speak of them of Jesus. Come, come out of yourself and speak. Peter was called as an apostle to catch men. And through the inspired words of that apostle, we are told to be ready to give a reason for our hope. Are we ready for that? Do we have any sense that we may be used of God for a great haul of souls? Um, through our faith, our obedience, our following of Jesus, our speaking of God's word, we, um, we might see the nations coming into his kingdom person by person. Right, if this one church got a, an evangelism um, bug, revival might break out in this country through this church. And so let the example of our missionaries, those who are obeying Christ's commands to go, inspire you to work here, right, and perhaps even beyond here. Is there anything more precious than the souls of men? Right? Wouldn't you like to be a fisher of men? Is a life spent doing that as opposed to pursuing money worth living? Is it worth living? We can only answer that question, yes, if the love of Christ has radically reformed in, in our selfish hearts. Right? May God give us that kind of selflessness. Um, part of this work of being fishers of men is also supporting those who are in the midst of fishing. <laughs> we need to get money to our fishermen. So with your money um, is another answer to this question, with your money, with what God has provided for you. And so now we're going to be taking up our faith promise commitments while we sing our closing hymn. This is what you promise to give, that you commit to give in the coming year. And, uh, and so you don't need to put your name on it. What we do with your commitments is we add them up and we determine our budget for missions for the following year based upon those numbers. So uh, it's as simple as that. So um, fill these out as we're singing this hymn, and, and during the last verse or the, sec the last two verses, we'll, we'll collect them. <laughs>